Well, good morning. morning. We are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 together. So if you have a Bible with you, or there's one in the pew in front of you, or if you have an app, would you scroll or open there with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And while you're finding that passage, I want to share with you a, a brief story. So all of us, I think, in our lives, we might come across those oh no kinds of moments, right? Uh, Where there is something that we're supposed to do and we've realized that there seems to be an insurmountable obstacle in our way. For me, that experience came when I was a teenager, not just that, one of the times, right? And it was when I was going to take my driver's test. You can probably even remember that uh, very tangibly, uh, for those of you who are looking forward to that, um, it's something pretty exciting. Uh, hold off on that slide. Uh, so I was getting ready to take my driver's test, and I was in the waiting room, and the instructor came in and called the first person, and it wasn't me. Whew, it was a, a young lady, and they went out to the car, and I watched out of the waiting room through the window as they climbed in, and, and you know how you go through those checklists, of you know, your lights are working, blah, 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 blah. And I watched this They began the test, and she's pulling out, but she's turning the wheel pretty tight as she's backing out. And before she even leaves the space, she makes contact with the car next to her, which is an automatic fail. And to make matters a bit worse, the car she hit was the instructor's car. (laughs) You know, I felt bad for her, but kind of made me feel better like as long as i don't hurt anybody it's gonna be okay it's gonna be better than that um so my oh no moment actually came after the test so i passed the test and i had to go fill out the paperwork to get my license at the where the dmv the lord bless you if you work at the dmv the people you have to put up with that are impatient or like me are severely insecure teenagers So I went there and saw the paperwork I had to fill out and just had a mental block in a moment of profound insecurity. And I felt like this is an obstacle I cannot surmount. And I love this picture I saw this week on social media where they're at the DMV and they say, you know, here are my seven different forms of ID and proof of address. Sir, we need an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Obviously, this is a joke, but that's kind of how it feels, right? And sometimes, I think in our lives, God calls us to do something, and we hear, we feel that, oh no, that's an insurmountable task in front of me, there's no way I can do that, and we're faced with the choice, do we step back and excuse ourselves, or do we put our confidence in the God who strengthens and calls us to move forward? So today, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-13, through 13, where Paul encourages Timothy to persevere in ministry while facing internal and external obstacles. Together, we will see that Christians are empowered by God's grace to serve in ministry, that as we serve in ministry together, we will suffer alongside one another, and that we are to persevere through by thinking carefully about the Word of God and by remembering Jesus who empowers us by his grace. So as we're prepared to dig into this together, let's invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in us in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, the chance to gather together to sing your praises and to study your word with one another. Holy Spirit, we need you to do the work of applying it to our hearts, of opening our eyes, of giving us understanding. We invite you to transform us even as we engage with you this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the verses we're going to read together, as I mentioned, they're written by the Apostle Paul to his friend Timothy, who is his mentee, who was the pastor that he had left in charge of the church in, of the community of believers in Ephesus. And his words begin, with, if you look with me at verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about this phrase, be strengthened, because everything Paul commands us to do throughout the rest of this passage, it comes right back to the beginning. We are to be strengthened in grace. So Timothy, in his story like all of us, was born into sin. And as a result of his own sin, separated from God. But his grandmother, we read, Eunice, and his uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice taught him the gospel, namely that Jesus was the perfect God come in flesh who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again so that all who trust in Jesus could be saved. And through belief in Jesus, Timothy was cleansed in Christ's righteousness. And the Bible uses the term in Christ. And in Christ, Timothy had access to God's unmerited favor. And that's what grace is. God's unmerited favor. There's nothing Timothy did to earn it. Nothing that Timothy stacked up so that God had to give him some blessings. It's grace unmerited favor. And in Timothy's story is our story as well. If we trust in Jesus, if we have put our faith in him for salvation, we are the recipients of God's unmerited favor and his grace. And here in verse 1, the Apostle Paul commands Timothy and all of us to be strengthened in grace that is accessible to us in Jesus. Now some of you in this room might be really excited about the English language, and things like grammar. You know, verbs and nouns. I'm not one of them. But when you're digging into God's Word, the best tool that you have sometimes, the best shovel you've got, is grammar. So forgive me, but we're going to look briefly at some grammar here. The verb he's saying, be strengthened, it's a passive verb. In other words, the action being carried out is done to the subject. So Paul isn't saying, Timothy, Go strengthen yourself. Paul is saying, receive strength from the Lord. In fact, this verb in the Greek is in the present tense, which has the idea of an ongoing, step-by-step daily process. That isn't, it isn't just a moment. So he's saying to all of us, receive the strength of the Lord through grace every day, each day day when you wake up as you will go through the day it's a continual process of being strengthened so one thought that came to my mind as i was reflecting on this and and listening to my kids as they talk about their experience of the week at school most of it is a blessing but i i, I see some kids here in this room and maybe you've experienced this where if you're going to preschool or high school or whatever it is there are people in your class that are just difficult to deal with to say it nicely 
And probably if you're not in school, but you go to a job or whatever it is, you know, like, man, it's tough sometimes being in the community that we are in. And as I think about for you kids or us adults, we need to ask the Lord as we walk to continually strengthen us so that we can to love. Like, I think of you kids, like, if you are going to treat others with love, if you're going to say no to some of the things that other kids are doing, that might make you stand out and look different, which, as I hear from my kids, is their worst fear. They just want to fit in. So that's just one example of how we need to be continually strengthened. And Paul, he goes on to explain what we are to do as Christians in verse 2. And he says, as, as we read together, what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What I want you to hear from this is that all Christians are called to the ministry of making disciples. So when Paul says, what you have heard from me, if you've read 1 Timothy and you look through 2 Timothy, it's pretty apparent that the Apostle Paul has entrusted to Timothy the gospel, right, the good news of Jesus, and the doctrines of the faith. And these were be, to be entrusted to other Christians who were faithful and would soon be able to entrust and teach others. That's, a, that's discipleship. Teaching someone the faith and how to walk and grow in Jesus so that they can in turn teach somebody else. And we can read a passage like this and think... Well, this is ministry for the pastors. They are to preach the gospel. They are to guard sound doctrine. But Jesus himself says that every follower is to be a minister in that sense. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So as Paul is encouraging us to be strengthened, he's then commanding us, you are to be making disciples. So who in your life do you know is faithful and and ready to be equipped with the gospel and sound doctrine? And if there's any names that come to your mind, I encourage you, write those down. Maybe in the, the margins of your Bible or in your notes, or at very least kind of whisper them out loud to yourself so that you can remember, like, this is who God has laid upon my heart. Or maybe who in your family or in your neighborhood or in your community needs to hear the gospel and receive forgiveness. Because God has placed people in our lives for us to minister to. After telling us to be strengthened by grace, Paul charges us to entrust the gospel and doctrine to others And in doing so, Paul warns that Christians are called to suffer alongside one another. They're called to suffer together and be empowered by God's grace. Timothy was facing some obstacles in his ministry. If you read through chapter 1, you see that Paul is encouraging him not to fear, probably because Timothy was struggling with fear. We see that there were people like Alexander, who's named in chapter 4, who is opposing Timothy's ministry. We read in Hebrews chapter 13 that later Timothy, like Paul, is put in jail for the sake of the gospel. 
So what internal or external obstacles are we facing as we consider God's call to ministry? For me, sometimes it's self-doubt. Insecurities like, I'm not equipped. I don't know how to do that. And well, I could never, I could never go up there and preach. And yet here I am. And maybe sometimes the, in, the internal obstacles are pride. Oh, I got this. I can do it. And we don't rely on the strength that God provides. Or maybe there's external obstacles that come up when we try to do ministry. Busyness is like the one that comes up to me all the time. I'm just so busy with, with family and with other responsibilities that taking the time to do ministry just seems impossible. Or maybe we're so busy that we never slow down and rest and we're just burned out all the time. So Paul gives us three illustrations to teach how we are to suffer alongside one another when the going gets tough. First, he says we are to have the single-minded focus of a soldier. Look with me at verses 3 through 4. Share in suffering. There's that command. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Here Paul contrasts the singular dedication of a soldier to his or her mission with the entangling nature of personal life. The pragmatic concerns of life the good things God gives us and the bad things we have to deal with, they can literally tangle us up and keep us from focusing on the mission God is calling us to. And rather than allow those entanglements to compromise the mission, the soldier single-mindedly seeks to please the one who enlisted him. Now, Paul isn't saying here that you should quit your jobs, ignore your family, let the yard grow as tall as it wants, and you should only go out on the street corners and preach the gospel. All of these, these parts of life are part of how we are to be strengthened and how we are to be ministering. He's not saying ignore those, but what he's saying is don't allow them to entangle you, but keep a single-minded focus throughout it all, right? We're suffering through together. Paul's second illustration for how we are to suffer alongside one another is the athlete. Look with me at verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Here Paul is encouraging us to be trained to compete like an athlete who is prepared to be victorious. Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell write in the commentary on 2 Timothy that Paul here, he's referring to the rigorous training of an athlete applying to be in the Olympics. I mean, you can imagine, I don't, I don't even have a clue of how many years these people have to work and dedicate themselves. But they write this, Ancient athletes who participated in the Olympiad first had to complete a required 10-month training period and then swear an oath that they had done it. Those were the rules. So we can suffer alongside one another when the going gets tough if we have been prepared through training. And... One of the clearest ways to me for training ourselves or being trained is through spiritual disciplines. Those things like memorizing God's word, praying throughout the day, 
or, or opening up God's Word and, and just meeting with Him in what we call, in our culture, devotions. The third illustration for how we are to suffer alongside one another is the farmer. Look at verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And here Paul is saying, laboring hard in the gospel is like a farmer who labors hard in his fields. Just as farming is hard work, so too it's hard work to make disciples, to share the gospel. But we can suffer alongside one another and dedicate ourselves and work hard looking to the harvest. That's what he says. It's who ought to have the first share of the crops. As we suffer together and and minister together, we look forward to the reward of seeing God rescue people from death and bring them to life. We can look forward to the the harvest, the fruit of seeing our families, our friends, and our loved ones become more and more like Christ as he transforms them into his image. We are empowered by grace as we entrust the gospel to others. We suffer alongside each other by maintaining focus on the mission, training ourselves for victory, and laboring hard to see the fruit of the ministry. And now Paul gives a third command. Think. Think. Verse 7. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You see, we can be empowered through careful thinking about God's Word. And it's the Lord who gives us the understanding. I love that promise where he says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And that's why when we began this study together here this morning, we began by praying, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Help us to see and to understand. So we must think carefully about what God is saying to you. And maybe for you, this would be reflecting deeply by studying God's Word. Maybe in your devotions, maybe going to one of the study classes like we're going to have coming up after this service, or, or maybe it's journaling or using study guides, but reflect deeply, even like in our home groups, and discussing together God's Word. So here's what this looked like in my life this week. So Thursday was the day that I had figured out in our calendar that I was going to, to dedicate as my Sabbath, the day when I was going to, to rest and to worship and just allow God to refill and renew my spirit. At 6.20 a.m., one of our kids came in, woke us up, and said, My stomach hurts. Well, my plan for a nice, quiet morning, sleeping in, drinking coffee, studying God's Word before the kids get up, was kind of turned on its head because now I'm desperately trying to keep all the kids quiet while my wife, who worked overnight, gets to sleep at least a little bit while I'm helping this one child go from the bedroom to the bathroom, you know, all those sorts of needs. And all my other plans just seem to be falling apart in front of me And finally, I bring the healthy kids to school and I get back and I sit down to read my Bible like hours after my original plan and I was in a sour mood. And I opened up to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and I was convicted. I had allowed the entanglements of this morning to totally take my focus off the mission and put me in a pity party. And God said, hey, if you're going to be effective for ministry, as it says in this text, you need to to, to lay those frustrations at my feet and allow 
your focus to be reoriented, to train yourself to be victorious in the mission, to work hard in discipling and loving your family. So Paul has explained that we are to be strengthened by grace as we entrust the faith to others, but doing so involves suffering alongside one another. And by careful thinking about God's word, we are given understanding. Finally, he explains how we are to be strengthened. Christians are called to remember Jesus who empowers the believer with God's grace. And we read that together in verse 8. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, friends, Jesus is the means by which we are strengthened. Pulling back out the shovel of grammar for a moment as we dig into God's word, the verb here, remember, it's a command and a verb again in the present tense which has that idea of an ongoing process. We are to be strengthened, receive God's strength, by continually remembering and reflecting on Jesus. Specifically, Paul says, we are to remember that he is the infinite God who knew no limitations, but yet he chose to wrap himself in the limitations of human flesh and to walk to the cross to die in our place, and to rise from the dead to give us life. And he is now sitting at the Father's right hand, reigning in glory as the descendant and the king of David's line. So this Jesus, as we remember him, we know that he is able to strengthen us even when obstacles bind your ministry, like Paul, like tightly chained in prison. What does Paul say? And there's a play on words here in the Greek where he says, I am bound in chains as a criminal, but God's word is not bound. In fact, it's able to save and bring people into eternal glory. God is able to work through your obstacles to bring salvation and eternal glory to other people through your ministry and through your suffering. Hughes and Chapel in their commentary summarize Paul's encouragement to Timothy and to us with these words, hear this. Nothing would come Timothy's way as he guarded the gospel that he would not have the graced strength to handle. No person, no pain, no problem, no responsibility, no tragedy. There would be no time when he could not stand tall. And that is true for all who believe in Christ and thus under his grace. If he calls you to do something, he will supply sufficient strength through his grace. If he calls you to step forward, he will give you the power. If he calls you to step up, he will give you the fortitude. If he calls you to endure, the strength you need will be found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Is he calling you? Then keep on being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not only the means of the grace that we receive, but he is the motivation for us to endure together 
in ministry. So Paul closes this section with a series of rhetorical, catchy phrases where the first half of the phrase sets up Timothy and us to be impacted powerfully by the second half of the phrase. So if we look at verse 11 together, it says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, Timothy would have been very familiar with teachings of Paul, like what he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, where he says, speaking to Christians, We were buried, therefore, with him in, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So as Timothy, and as we hear that, if you have died with him, that isn't talking about when, you body, when your body dies or, or if you should be martyred, heaven forbid. It's saying, since you have died with Christ, since that old nature has been put to death, this new thing is going to be true, which is, we will live with him. And this isn't just about you know, future glory after we die in heaven. This is now. We have life with Christ now. If you have died with him, yes, I have. You will live with him right now. The second catchy phrase, verse 12, if we endure with him, or if we endure, we will reign with him. That idea of endure, I mean, this is why Paul's writing to Timothy, right? Timothy is struggling to endure. It's not easy. He's wavering, perhaps, and Timothy needs to be strengthened. So when he says, if we endure, it's like, yes, that's what I want. Then, and this explodes with hope, we will reign with him. If we persevere through ministry, the promise of the reward is that we get to reign with Christ forever in eternity. The third catchy phrase, and it's a negative motivation. If we deny him, he will deny us. God will reciprocate. Jesus says in Matthew 10:33, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This first statement in this phrase, if we deny him, I think Timothy's heart and our hearts would say, may that never be. I don't want that. And allow then Paul's words to have their intended effect, to motivate you towards perseverance, empowered by his grace. We can minister motivated by the enduring faithfulness of God. We see that in the next phrase. If we are faithless, and we almost kind of expect at this point that negative motivation, right? We just thought where, where God's going to reciprocate. And we would think, oh, if we're faithless, he's going to reciprocate that. But what does it say? He is faithful. I mean, who among us hasn't been unfaithful? We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Even as believers, daily we struggle with sin and we, we prove over and over again that in our hearts we still we're unfaithful. But the hope is God remains faithful. Here is our immense comfort and our immense motivation that despite our failures, God does not abandon us but remains faithful to his promises. So having charged Timothy to be strengthened and to entrust the faith to others, he explains they are to suffer alongside one another in ministry, to think deeply about God's word, and remember Jesus who empowers us by his grace. 
And he concludes this passage by anchoring these commands in the immutable character of God. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is not capricious. Which, because he can't change. Theologians call this attribute of God the immutability. God doesn't change. He is unable to change. Now, sometimes it might seem to us like God changes when, how he acts in this part of our life or, or in this part of the Bible from one to the other. But as Joe Carini says in the Lexicon Survey of Theology, he says, when we see a different side of God's face, it's not because he has changed, but because we have changed in relation to him. At the same time, God shows his immutability in remaining perfectly faithful to his promises. What God wills, he will do. What he begins, he will complete. You see, the God who cannot contradict himself or deny himself has promised to provide everything that is necessary for you to follow his call and make disciples. So we must think carefully about what God is calling us to do. To feel confident in his ability to provide and act in accordance with God's calling to make disciples. So throughout this text, there is a sense that God eagerly awaits the opportunity to strengthen his children in grace. We looked at those illustrations, right, of the, of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. But as I think about those, I kind of think about God as being like, behind the scenes, ready to act. So like a commander who maybe is surveying and and watching the troops from afar and delights to see them advance the kingdom and advance the gospel, your father is looking out, delighted to see through your witness, empowered by his grace, people enter into salvation, become more Christ-like and have eternal glory. And like a coach, who, who watches an athlete from the sidelines who he's been training, God cheers us on to be victorious. And like maybe a landowner who is watching and encouraging on the farmer, looking forward to the harvest. But unlike the commander, unlike a coach, or unlike a landowner, your heavenly Father has an unbreakable commitment to himself an immutable love that has caused him to rush out to us while we were still a long way off, to throw his arms around us, so to speak, and give us everything we need so that we can make disciples empowered by his grace. That is our Heavenly Father who encourages and strengthens us in his grace. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are delighted to strengthen us. Forgive me, forgive us for being so easily swayed, for excusing ourselves sometimes from the work you have put in front of us because of the obstacles. We need you, Jesus, to strengthen us, to endure, to suffer alongside one another, to think carefully about your word and to remember you. Would you do this work in us even this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.